I have loved you. That's what Jesus has done for you. Church, have you prayed to be here today yet? Have you prayed to be here? Like, have you, sometime this morning, did you pray for these services today? Did, did, did you pray that, that God would show up? Did you, did you pray that God would prepare your heart? Did you pray that maybe sitting next to you is someone who's never accepted Jesus Christ? Did, did, you, did, you, did you pray? I'm, I'm thinking maybe some of us, we got up this morning and life happened. There were frosted flakes flying across the kitchen floor and dogs yelping and things happening and can't find this shoe and don't know where this this piece of clothing is and life happened but I want to stop before we do anything else I want to pray for this service we're already halfway through it we've declared our faith we've declared the gospel we've declared life but I want to beg that God would do something in your life and my life right now before we leave this place today so would you just bow right where you are. Bow your head. Just for a moment, if you're joining us online, just bow your head, close your eyes. That screen's not going to turn off. And would you to yourself, between you and God, pray, God, what do you want to do today? Father, in the name of Jesus, as we, as we bow humbly before you, the sovereign creator of the universe, who knows every need that we have, who knows every mind and every heart in this room today and knows the things that we've been through and yet you love us still. Lord, you know every mistake we've ever made, have made and will make and yet you love us still. God, you know the plans that we have formed in our mind and sometimes they don't line up with your will but yet you love us still. You know the ones who are wrestling and struggling with the pull of the world and with sin, and yet you love us still. And so, God, we today in unison are praying and crying out to you, God, that you would do a work in our life. Someone needs to be encouraged today, Lord. They've come in with the weight of the world on their shoulder, and they need to know that you are carrying them. God, some have come in, and they're ready to give up on faith because it just doesn't quite fit the bill. And I pray, God, that you would break those walls down. God, somebody's coming today and they're questioning you, God, why did you let this happen? And I pray you would comfort their heart. But God, it's my hope that someone today is sitting here and joining us in online that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior and that they will hear the gospel with clarity, that they would surrender their life, would repent of their sin and turn their life over to you today and start a new journey. Lord, this is a place of hope not because of us, but because of the message that you've called us to steward. Everything we do, Lord, we want to point to you. We want to exalt you, and we want to glorify you. And so today as we pray, getting ready, God, touch our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. So good morning, everybody. I hope you're ready. Because I am so excited. I've been excited about this, this series since we started three weeks ago called What is Love? Today we're in the fourth chapter of 1 John. So if you have your Bible or you have a device, I'd like for you to turn there. While you're doing that, let me make just one little 
one little, uh, it's not an announcement. I don't believe in announcements. I like to inspire. In a few weeks, on March 19th, we're going to have what's called Baptism Sunday. And I bet you're like, well, what is a Baptism Sunday? Because our baptistry is always available. If you came up here today and we counseled and we agreed it was that you had accepted Jesus and it was time for you to take that step of obedience, that baptistry's ready. It's always ready. But on March 19th, we're going to have a specified time. We've already got some people signed up that what we're going to do is invert the service. We're going to come in here, we're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to preach. And then we're going to give you an invitation. Hey, where is your baptism? For some of you in this room, maybe um, you come from one of our uh, other denominations, and you've trusted Jesus and you're saved, but maybe in that church you put confidence in a sprinkling or infant baptism. Well, we believe in post-salvific baptism. In other words, we don't believe in being baptized until after you as as not as an adult, but as someone who knows, you're old enough to know that you are a sinner, that Jesus died for your cross, and you've accepted that. We believe that baptism comes after that. And so we're inviting you to ask how the Lord would lead you. If you need to get your timeline in order, that Sunday is going to be a special emphasis on baptism. And so as I've already challenged you to pray for today, I want you to pray for that Sunday because I believe God wants to do something special in your life. And we believe and, and we teach that baptism is a first step of obedience. Baptism doesn't save you. But to get in line with the will of God, God wants you to declare to the world that your life has been saved and changed. And that's how we do that. So be praying for that day. Talk to your neighbors. I, I, let me go ahead and tell you, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. Here's your application for today. Is there three people in your life, three people that you do life with that's not in church and doesn't know Jesus? Three people. Right now, you can go ahead and begin thinking about this because I'm going to revisit it again at the end of the message that you will begin to pray for now. We have journey in four weeks where the gospel is going to be preached. And then we have Easter in six. Can y'all believe Easter is six weeks away? I think God's sense of humor about me preaching against Bradford Pears came to fruition because they're all bloomed outside now. Six weeks. Spring is here. It reminds us of the newness of life. But there are three people in your life that's walking in darkness and death. And I'm looking across this room at hundreds of people and online, and I know if you have three people and the next person has three people, are you willing to pray for them the next th six weeks that they would either come to journey or come to Easter? Because what happens to them at that moment can change their eternity. So what you're praying is that you pray that God would open their heart to receive that invitation, but also maybe prepare you because you may be the one that shares the gospel with them. You may be the one that God raises up to share your story, your testimony. I'm not the only one that can preach the gospel. In fact, like Paul said, I feel like I'm the least among the brethren a lot of times. You, God wants you. You and I are an extension of the body of Christ. And isn't it amazing to me how God has laid out in this book, the last few weeks that we've been studying, two primary themes. 
When I look back at the last three weeks, there's, there's only two ways I can summarize it. God's calling you to step out of sin. If you're lost, he's asking you to accept Jesus. If you're a Christian and walking in sin, he's asking you to get out of that because you're not in fellowship with him. But the other thing that he is calling us to do is to think about our brother and sister. That can be the summary. In fact, can I just go ahead and tell you, I can summarize discipleship right now in two things. Obey God and love your brother. If you're sitting here thinking, oh man, discipleship's so complex, I don't even know how I can break that down. Obey God, obey his word, love your brother. And those two things go hand in hand. Our memory verse last week was, was 1 John 3.16. And some of you know John 3.16. But I hope that you took time that we know love by this. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our life for our brother. And that is the call for you and for me because we're living in a culture that does not know God. Remember we talked about last week, the, the, the word said, the, the scripture said, the world does not like you. Now the world's got a lot of cool things in it, but the, the world does not like you. It doesn't love you. God loves you. And so I'm, I'm going to give you some, some heavy statistics. And these statistics shouldn't be, they're concerning, but they're not surprising. Gallup in 1944 started tracking this question over the years. And, the, and it's simply this, do you believe in God? And in 1944, when they started doing this survey, 90% of those surveyed, which can then be, if, if properly applied, uh, applied across the nation, 90% of people said they believe in God. And that trend continued until 2011, when for the first time that question was answered, less than 90% said that they believed in God. And over a course of time, they actually added a third response. Do you believe, do you not believe, or are you unsure? In 2013, that number dropped to 87%. That was 10 years ago. And as of last summer, only 81% of those surveyed said that they believe in God. You see how exponentially that number has decreased. Exponentially. You know what exponential means, right? It's not linear. That means it's dropping off like this, not like this. If that trend continues in another 10 years, it's going to be probably 60 or the low 70s. Do you believe in God? In fact, by adding that other response, 5 to 10% on average each year say they're unsure. So we could say somewhere around 3 out of 4 people say they believe in a God. Now, if you couple that with Pew Research in 2018, they did a study about who people said God is. And five years ago, five years ago, only a simple majority said that the God they believed in was the God defined in the Bible. Simple majority. You know what simple majority is, right? Just a little over 50%. Now you go, 81% say they believe in God, but only a little over half believe that he's the God of the Bible. I think that's a little bit overestimated. Because I know this to be true. When we start talking about God, 
people go into so many different avenues about who God is and the God that they believe in. I remember one time talking to someone who claimed to be agnostic. And we were debating, and I made the, I'd made the mistake, and I called him an atheist. And he came out of his skin angry. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa I didn't mean any disrespect. And he said, wait a minute, I believe there's a, a higher power, a spiritual being. I just don't believe he is nothing like you Christians. You know what I did? I went back the next day and hang out, hung out with him again. I wanted to prove to him that the God I know loves unconditionally. And if I was going to show him a God that loved him unconditionally, guess what I had to do? I had to love him unconditionally. I was actually comforted because as I was doing my research, I just, I just went to Google and I typed in, who is God? I thought I was going to get a whole lot of crazy hits. But do you know that my, the first hit that came back was the Navigator Group? And the third hit that came back was Answers in Genesis. And I was, I mean, honestly, I was comforted by that because I thought if, if somebody was going to seek God, that they would go to Google first and find out what everybody else thinks. Isn't that how our culture works today? I can't free think. I got to think what, uh, the way other people think. So I need to think what they think and know what they think so I can formulate what I think. We have, we have lost the art. We have lost the art of logic and thinking for oneself. Right? And I'm telling you today that when you look at these statistics, they're alarming because there's so many reasons why people may be slipping away in their belief in God. But I believe that the church has a responsibility that we're not fulfilling. And that is the call that we keep hearing over and over and over again in 1 John. And that is, how am I loving my brother? Because the way that I love my brother, the world sees that, draws a conclusion about the God that we say we worship. And if I say that I love God and I worship God and I sacrifice to God but I treat my brother like trash, those two things are incoherent. They don't line up. In fact, as we begin to dig into this chapter today, I want to remind you that John is writing to a culture where there is a group of people called Docetists. And the Docetists believe that the spirit was good and that flesh was bad and those two things couldn't come together. Therefore, Jesus Christ was not Jesus Christ. He was Jesus the fleshly man, and the anointing came and appeared upon him, but they never came together. And so when you open up the fourth chapter in verse 2, he says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not from God, that is the spirit of Antichrist. You want to try to identify who the Antichrist is? It's those who deny who Jesus is. And so let me help you to recall some core truths we've seen up to this point. If Jesus is not Jesus Christ, then our sins are not forgiven. Did you catch that? If, if Jesus is not fully God and fully man who died on the cross in the flesh 
and raised again back to life, our sins are not taken away. And therefore you, my friend, carry the responsibility of those sins and that judgment. And that is a weight that no one can handle. Because here, here we go. Whether you believe it or not, there is coming a day when you will leave this world. There's also coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to come back and judge this world. And those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will live separated from God for eternity in a place called hell fitting for our sin. And that is a heavy, heavy weight to carry that you don't have to carry when there's a, there's a Savior who's extended his arms out and says, come and let me take that sin. Come, let me relieve that burden from you and let me give you life. That's our God. Our God is a God who loves us unconditionally. And so I want to invite you right now as, as we stand and read his word. I'm going to read a good portion of the, of the fourth chapter of 1 John. But as we read this, we only have one point today. So that means I'm only going to preach 50 minutes instead of an hour and a half. But as we read this, I want you to look for the primary attribute in this chapter that John has been driving us to this entire time. He says in verse number 7, Beloved which the root of that word is agape. He says, those who are agape, let you agape one another, for agape is from God. Agape is that word in Greek that means unconditional, unearned, unmerited love. It's, it's, it's what drives God to act mercifully toward you when you and I deserve death, that he would even begin to engage us in a way to give us life. Because what I deserve is death, Right? Do you believe you are a sinner? Do you believe and know that God sees you and you don't measure up to God and you can try to do all the things in this world that are good and you will never have enough righteousness to enter his presence, but he loves you enough that he sent his son to die on a, a cruel, horrible cross for your sins. That God is this God of love. And everyone who is born of God, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. And if you underline in your Bible, for God is what? It is who he is. It is his defining mark. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. There's no other way to live but through him. If we say we live, we are deceiving ourselves because the only way you and I can ever have life it's through Jesus Christ. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation and covering for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. He's trying to get a point across. If we have loved God, then we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We already talked about perfection now we're talking about this idea that as I obey his word and become perfected, that perfection is bore out in how I treat other people. And by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given his spirit to us. That is the primary and initial evidence of your salvation is that God has put his spirit inside of you. Don't you love the richness of the theology of this chapter? 
We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. There it is again. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. That's where we're supposed to live. He just said abide four times. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, judgment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Now, this is the verse you need to definitely underline. We love because he first loved us. Before you were ever in this world, God loved you. If someone says, I love God but hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. Let's pray. Father, in the next few moments as we dig into this text, I pray that you would speak loudly and boldly to our hearts. As you are calling us to be like you. God, would you empower us with your love in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you're looking at your study guide, there are four blanks, as I talked about. The first blank is simply this. God. First blank is simply this, God. Because when you think about this book and you read this book, the word for God, Theos, appears 63 times. 63 times it pops up. That's not including pronouns that refer back to God, which then puts it in about 100 to 200 range. God is a primary focus of the book of 1 John. John wanted his readers to know that this God, this Theos, or as we call him Yahweh, was revealed in and through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus' name is only mentioned 12 times. But the times that it's mentioned, it's mentioned with a thrust and a purpose. He said in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Now, there are millions of different ways we define love. But as I said to you earlier, agape is unmerited, unearned, unfavored love that God has benevolently toward you and toward me. Why? Because it's his nature. It's who he is. You know, we joke a lot of times about the way people think. Some people are, are crafty thinking. Some people are math-minded. Some people are creatively minded. Somebody comes to me and says, hey, can you help me on this math problem? Yeah, you know why? Because that's who I am. I, I, I can do math. But they're probably not going to come to me and ask me to put callig calligraphy on their diaper bag because I can't even read my own handwriting. That's why I type. That's why I have an iPad right here because I can't read my own handwriting because it's who I am. Now, wait a minute. Sometimes we look at our lives and we look at our sin and we look at other people's sin and we just say, hey, that's just the way they are. That's not who you are. If you have been born again, as this text talks about, and you know God, 
You are no longer the way that you used to be. Your name has been changed. Your identity has been changed. You are now a child of God. And we need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit to bear that out. Not our strength, but in His. He says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. A few weeks ago I mentioned this, but I want to mention it again. If forgiveness is so precious... And the gift that we have received in eternal life is that my sin has been forgiven. And that's the most precious thing, the most precious commodity that's allowing me to connect with God in the first place. Then why would I withhold that from other people? And you may stop and say, well, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what so-and-so did to me. I, I, I don't. Now, let me go step over here for a minute. I hate that there are people in this room that have been abused. I hate that there's people in here that have been used. I hate in this room that people have been hurt and downtrodden. But let me remind you what Jesus said on the cross to the very ones who nailed him to that cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You can choose, and I can choose to live in bondage and hold back and hate my brother and, and, and hold back benevolence and hold back forgiveness. But do you know who's trapped by that? You are. Not the person who hurts you, but you are. We must be born of God. And when we are born of God or born again, he has become my daddy. He's become my father. And I want God to change me so that I can live like he's called me to live. So let me stop here for just a moment and ask you really a very, very, very tough question. Because we've been very gospel heavy for four weeks now. Are you right with the Lord? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you come to a point where you are tired of pursuing sin and you have repented of that sin and turned away and turned to Christ and asked Him to save you, to forgive you of your sin, accepted and acknowledged that He's the Son of God who died on the cross and was raised again, and by dying on the cross, He can take your sin away and cleanse you, And by being raised again, he has the spirit to grant you eternal life. Have you done that? Listen, don't don't, don't sit here and and say to yourself today that, well, you know, I was 10 years old and I went down and and that preacher, we, we cried together and I was baptized. If your confidence in the gospel is anything other than Jesus dying on the cross is why I'm going to heaven, then you have false confidence. It's not church membership, it's not baptism, it's not your mom and daddy put the first nails in this building. Do you know Jesus Christ and have you turned from your sin? Because if you haven't, you're living a very heavy life. And you won't know abundant life until you do. Because the God that I serve, the God that I know, is a God of love who will take you back no matter where you've been and what you've done. The God that I love has extended mercy towards you or you wouldn't still be in this world. The God that I know has given you the breath that you breathe right now and has given you another opportunity one more time to hear that gospel and let the Lord break your heart down to the point where repentance comes and he saves you. Because here's what I know about God in the Old Testament. But God, God who appeared to Abram and promised to make him a great nation, The God who appeared to Jacob at the stairway to heaven and promised he would fulfill what he promised. The God who appeared to Moses on holy ground 
and led him to liberation. The God, but my God, who appeared on Mount Sinai before the Israelites and called them to be his own people. But my God, who led the Israelites through a dry land into the promised land, breaking down city walls and leading the Israelites against all odds. But God, who led Gideon to lead 300 in battle to overcome the Midianites. But God, who even though he sinned, enabled Samson to pull the pillars down and kill the Philistines. But God, who called to a young Samuel to judge Israel and make a way for the monarchy. And then that monarchy came. But God, who spoke to David and said, there will never cease to be one of your descendants on the throne, beginning to refer to the Christ who would come. But God, who spoke to the prophets and said, someone is coming. And when he comes, he's coming in my name and in my way. And his name is Jesus Christ. That is my God. Is he your God? You can continue living in darkness and pursuing death. Or today, you can release that pride and confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because God, the next blank, is. My God is. My God lives. My God loves When you ask somebody who God is in Christianity, sometimes there's one of two ways they can go. They can either begin to define God in his triunity as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is his persons, three in one. Or you hear people begin to define him by his attributes. He is sovereign. He is the creator. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's sufficient. He's holy, and he's righteous. He's just. He's the ruler of creation. He's above time, but yet he's relational. And you know why that is? Because my God is love. My God is love. Love does not supersede any of the other qualities that God has, but it's by his love. It was his love that drove him, that drove him to send his son, that drove that son to the cross because he loved you and he loved me. Look again at the text. He says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, so loved us, so endeared to us, we ought to love one another. He says no one has seen God at any time. Same kind of language we hear in John chapter 1, but what we know is that Jesus appeared to reveal God to the world. And by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He gave us his spirit, this God of love. And if the spirit lives inside of us, and I've said before, Jonathan Edwards said, if if the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, holy should begin to live out of us. That's, That's a doctrine of holiness and sanctification. But the love lives in us too. And it makes no sense to have practiced Christianity for 20 years and still be treating my brother with hatred. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make logical sense when you think about it from that perspective. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Again, this book is about fellowship. You can be a Christian and not be in fellowship with the Lord. And there's only one of two things going on. Either you're walking in sin or you're hating your brother. And when I repent of those two things, I can then bask again in the love of God Because my connection to God will be restored and he will live his life out through me. As he said in verse 17, love is perfected in us or with us. And so this love gives us motivation. 
It gives us purpose. It gives us a means to become perfected because we become the conduit for God's love. Not a catch can. God wants his love to flow through you and through me. In us, this love should be an extension. God has marked us with his spirit, and this mark is that we confess Jesus, fully God, fully man, the only true son of God is the one that we want people to know. Now, one word I haven't focused on in this study is this, the word know, K-N-O-W. In the Greek, there's two words for know. One word talks about what I know, like I've experienced. I know how to use this phone because I've worked with it. I've been given information and I've applied it. But this other word to know is something that, that could be abstract, something maybe it hasn't become this other kind of knowledge, but it's out there like revelation. But let me be clear. We experience this knowledge of God, even though I can't touch him, even though I can't see him, I know it to be true, and when I am engaged with that knowledge, it becomes that kind of knowledge that's inside my head, inside my heart, that changes the course of my life. Josh McDowell, years ago, speaking at a conference, kind of broke down love like this. He said, one kind of love is I love you if. It's conditional. I love you if you wash my clothes. I love you if you bring me flowers. Another kind of love is I love you because. I love you because you are handsome. Ladies, let me, let me be honest with you. When you get into about your late 40s and 50s, hair starts growing in really strange places on your head. <laughs> if you find that attractive, um, there are counselors in our church that would love to meet with you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that kind of love fades. That's erotic love. Agape love stands the test of time. The longer I've been married to my life, wife, the more I've come to appreciate agape love. We're falling more in love each and every day because we know that maybe that compassionate love or that, that erotic love, that kind of that, that attractive love is fading away and that committal love is staying. My favorite Old Testament word, chesed, is the word we get loving kindness where the Old Testament talks about his loving kindness is everlasting. There's really not an English word that exists that can, can really describe his chesed. That's how much he loves you and me because God is love. And God is love, period. God is love, period. You and I, if we walk away today and don't get this last thing, there is nothing else that defines this kind of relationship. God is love, period. And that period stop, stops with him. As we saw in, in 321, we have confidence before God as we have tangibly shown our love to one another. And now again, he's bringing that in. There, he says there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Why? Because when I've accepted that love, when I've accepted Christ, I could stand before him in judgment someday knowing that the promise he made will stand the test of time. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, the Bible said you would be saved. And the medium for that is that God loved you. Matthew chapter 22, 37 through 40. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? You've heard this passage before. 
And he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then it's the next verse that wrecks us. He says, upon this, all of the prophets and the law rest. Again, you want to know the two things for discipleship? Obey his word and love your brother. Obey his word and love your brother. Because in doing those two things, we tap into this one who said, we love because he first loved us. And this is the commandment that we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. God is love, period. And I am being called to love my brother in tangible ways. Maybe today in your life, you've got somebody that's hurt you. Today's the day to choose to forgive them. Maybe in your life today, someone, you've hurt somebody. Today's the day to go and ask them to forgive you. Maybe in your life, you have mistreated your neighbor because they they won't keep their dog out of your yard. What I know to be true is you can go to certain people and you can try to make amends, but don't you want to know the evidence in your life that you tried and attempted rather than you throwing stuff back on their yard to get them back? In fact, let me quote a movie. In the Marvel movie, The Civil War. The whole movie is about T'Challa, Black Panther, trying to find who killed his dad. And when he finds the Baron at the end of the movie, the Baron is sitting there and he's listening to a recording because what had driven him to do what he did was that his family died in, an, in, in a horrible, horrible uh, world catastrophe. And he was trying to get back at the Avengers. So he created this, this, this tension between team members and now they're fighting. And T'Challa comes up behind him and he hears him. And he wants to, I mean, he wants to kill this guy. And he stops and he says, I've been driven by vengeance for too long and I will not let it drive me anymore. Guys, God said he's the judge. He said vengeance is mine. And he even said to love your neighbor to love your enemy. Today as we sit here and we reflect on what he's saying, this is to be true, this is the last blank. Love is knowing God through loving others. You want to experience something deeper with God? Don't change your music. Don't buy a new Bible. Don't commit to to four hours of Bible study. You you want to experience God in a different way? Start loving your brother. What do I mean by that? How can you, how can you this week show tangible love to somebody that you don't have to show love toward? And let me, let me, let me, let me encourage you, don't do it this way. Don't post it on Instagram or Facebook to prove that you've loved somebody else. God knows your heart, God knows your life, and he knows what you're doing. In fact, I love this at the end of first, 2 Thessalonians 1.3, the verse says this. He's, he's, he's talking to them and he's bragging on their faith. And he says, the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Guys, I want, I want Ebenezer's reputation to be one that says, man, that church really loves each other. I want Ebenezer's reputation to be they, for, they are quick to forgive, that they're quick to reconcile, that they're quick to sacrifice for one another. Why? Because God is love, Period. Buck stops with you and me. It is on us, as the body of Christ, to exemplify and take the message of the gospel to this world. So at the beginning of this message, I said, here's my challenge to you.
right now, I want you to bow your heads. Who are the three in your life? There are three people in your life that you do life with, that you work with, that you shop with, that you go to school with. Who are the three that you're willing to say today, I'm going to pray for them for the next six weeks and ask for an opportunity either to witness to them or for them to come to church. Write them down. If you don't write them down, you forget them. And next week, we'll, we'll, we'll remind you again. We want you to pray for three. Who are your three?